First, on behalf of Father Mold and Father Ruskamp and myself, we wish all of you a very blessed and happy Easter. May the joy of the Lord's rising from the dead fill you not only this day, but throughout this season. You know, Lent is 40 days, and it's a long period. But Easter is even longer. It's 50 days. We spend these days relishing the fact that Christ has conquered the, what seemed to be the last word, death, which brings all things to an end. And he's altered that from being the final word to being a transition to our eternal home and eternal life with him. Way back at the beginning of our Lenten journey, we heard the gospel where Satan tries to tempt Jesus in the desert. In those 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert, we sought to enter into in, at the beginning of the Lenten season, and maybe we, we had some struggles where we didn't do our, our, our Lenten Practices or disciplines that we had taken on perfectly or in the way that we had wanted. Maybe it was even a bit discouraging. But sometimes the Lord allows that so that we can grow in humility and we can come to the point where we realize that ultimately it's about Him and what He's given us and His grace and our needing to rely upon that. Well, at the beginning of that Lenten journey, when we read that story about Satan tempting Jesus. That was also paralleled to Jesus' beginning of his public ministry. And something that Satan found out in that encounter with Jesus was that he was dealing with a very dangerous person. Dangerous because he realized that he wouldn't succumb as ordinary men normally succumbed to his temptations. How? He tempted him with food. Fulfill this bodily need of yours. After all, you've been fasting for 40, for 40 days. Jesus resisted him. He resisted him in showing a display of his divine power. At this point, Satan doesn't know that Jesus is God. He has a suspicion that maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe this is the one who will save his people. And so the tests are a way to tease out who is Jesus. But it's today that Satan realizes just how dangerous Jesus really is. No mere man, no mere man who's been adopted by God, no mere man who has this superpower of the divine, but the God-man incarnate. God himself taking our human flesh. You see, for Satan, it was incomprehensible that God would humble himself and take our human nature. Not only that, but that he would take that human nature and he would die on the cross for love of us. Satan, because he is so full of himself and so full of pride, could not fathom that God would humble himself in that way. The church fathers tell us how Jesus, by taking our human nature, baited Satan. Just like an 
A fisherman puts a, a worm on a hook so that the fish might take it in. Satan took in Jesus' humanity. He vented his anger on Jesus. In fact, there's at least one mystic or saint that I know of who says in her kind of interior understanding of this that when Satan began to realize who Jesus was, he maybe even tried to stop the Pharisees, the high priests, and Judas himself. But it was too late. They were already full of the hatred that fills Satan's heart already. Because Satan knew that if Jesus was the Messiah, if he really was God, then everything was over. And that moment, which we heard on Good Friday also from St. John's Gospel, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, was the moment when Satan's dominion in this world was finished as well. We began in the desert. Today we begin in the garden. Mary of Magdala, as we heard in the gospel, comes early in the morning before the sun has risen. The gospel said while it was still dark. Why is she going to the tomb? She doesn't believe that Jesus is risen. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is probably the only one who clung with that tenacity, that hope, knowing that her son would rise. But Mary goes, along with other women, to anoint the body of Jesus. Jesus had to be buried quickly because it was the Sabbath. Sabbath began with dusk, with nightfall on Friday. And so they go to the tomb and they're wondering, how, who's going to roll away the stone? As it mentions in a different gospel, in Mark's gospel. And they get there. The stone has been rolled away. Mary runs, tells the apostles. Peter runs, and John, who leaves himself kind of hidden in this narrative, goes along. He runs ahead. The disciple whom Jesus loved. He gives us the clue because John was the one who was next to Jesus at the Last Supper, the disciple whom he loved. John, being younger, outdistances Peter, but out of reverence for Peter, who's already recognized as head of the apostles, he waits for him. Very interesting fact that's given to us here, too. The cloths are folded, they're rolled. The napkin that's mentioned is a face cloth that would have been put over the deceased person. It's folded up and set aside from the other burial garments. This has been no tomb raid. They would have left the cloths in the disarray. They would have taken them with them rather than take the body just by itself. In a certain sense, we might say, Jesus makes his bed. He's been sleeping in death, and as he arises, he orderly puts his burial garments in place, a sign of the resurrection. This year, April Fool's Day coincides with Easter, and it's a good reflection for us to think that the greatest prank, more than a prank, the greatest wool or blindfold being pulled over somebody else was done not by a human being, 
not by an angelic being, but by a divine being, by Christ who outsmarted Satan, who in making him think that he was conquering the author of life by destroying him in death, actually destroyed death and brought about possible for each and every one of us eternal life with God. This is a prank that is truly worth rejoicing about.